we are in a series today called Thy Kingdom Come. And I want to do something just real quick before I jump into it. Uh, everybody pull out your phones. If you got your phones, go ahead and pull it out. I'm going to give you permission to pull your phone out if you have it right there. If you have not had a chance yet, um, we do have Wi-Fi in here. Um, we don't have cell phone signal, but you get Wi-Fi. So uh, we have an app. If you do not have our OSC Connect app, Go to your app store now, download the OSC Connect app. And the reason I say that is because if you go on it, um, all of the stuff that happens every weekend gets updated to our app. One of them being the notes to the messages, as well as the messages themselves. And so if you go on here and you click it right at the very top, there is Kingdom Marriage, and you can click on that. And you'll see all of the notes for today's message. You can fill in the blanks. The really cool part that I love about it, though, is you can share it. And so you can actually email these notes uh, to friends, to a spouse, to whoever. And so I would encourage you just to take some notes, whether that's via your phone or maybe you just do old school paper. However that works for you, that's totally fine. But uh, we are a note-taking church. And the reason that is is because I believe that the more you take notes in a message, then the more you retain it. Also, secondly, is because sometimes you hear a message and it's not necessarily something you need right then and there, but there may come a time in the weeks or months to come when you want to go back to it. And uh, especially if maybe you're uh, encountering someone who's going through something and you go, oh man, I remember Pastor Josh or Pastor Bubba or somebody spoke a message about this. Then you can go back to your notes and send that. I, I can tell y'all what, I preach these messages and I have to go back <laughs> and listen to some of them to remember, oh yeah, I said that. That was good. Okay, yeah, all right. So, so I, I'm an avid note taker uh, by nature, but I encourage you, I, I believe if, uh, if you want God to continue to speak to you, you need to write down the things that he speaks to you. So that way you can continue to, to uh, remember. So I uh, just wanted to put a, a quick little plug on there. Also, if you're watching on Facebook um, or YouTube, share this. Share this video. Start now. Invite people to come. Start a watch party. You can have people watch with you. And for those that are watching online, I would encourage you, if you're not comfortable yet, to come into the building, then to just invite people that you are comfortable with at your house and you can watch the service at your house. And so these are multiple ways for you to continue to stay plugged in to the church, um, but also have community. How many know we need people around us? We need community. Come on, we are a spiritual family, and you can't get family if you're not with family. So I just encourage you in that. All right, with all that said, we are now into part six of this series we're calling Thy Kingdom Come. Just to let you know, we, we have two more. So we're going to go to eight we're going to go through an eight-week series, so you got two more weeks of this after. But today, we are specifically talking about kingdom marriage. If you're in the room and you're married, raise your hand. If you're, come on, all right, all the married people. All right, uh, if you're not married, raise your hand. It's okay. All the single people, all right, keep your hand up and look around. Okay, you mind? <laughs> my, this might be your day. <laughs> You'll be like, yeah. Came to church on the right day. All right. You know y'all are worshiping looking at fingers. Ah, it's his, I saw him. I don't see a, I don't see a ring. Um, okay. Keep that hand up. All right. So anyways, I, I, we're, we're talking about marriage today. Now, I will say this. I know this is predominantly geared to marriages, but if you are single um, or single again, however that's working, uh, this, this message does apply even to other relationships. 
Or you're gonna, if you're, you plan on getting married at some point, this is definitely a great precursor to what you want to be looking for when you do finally get married. So uh, my wife and I right now are in the middle of remodeling our bedroom. Uh, we got some mold in our bedroom on one of our walls, and so we've been gutting it out and getting it all cleared out. And I, I am not what you would call Tim the Toolman Taylor. I just want to let you know that. Um, I, I can burn things. I, I, can, I can destroy things. Building things is, is something I am learning more and more. And so um, having some guys here that have been helping me, so it's been a great blessing. And so we're, we've been doing that, been painting and putting up new walls and all that stuff. And if you know anything about, about houses, uh, I, one of the things I love is the, the gift of spackle. Any, any people know how spackle works? You get a crack, just spackle it. Okay, uh, if, if you want to fix something, just spackle it. Okay, that's, what, that's, what, that's been, been my, my new model, just, just spackle it. Uh, if it. If it looks bad, don't worry, just spackle it, all right? So everything can get spackled and buffed out or whatever. And if, you, if you have a home and you're starting to have some cracks in your walls, just, just spackle it. I mean, it, it'll, it'll be fine. But what I've learned over the years as a homeowner is that the more cracks that you have in your house, however much you can spackle those things, uh, they keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And what I've learned is, is that the cracks are not just cracks because the house is maybe old. It's a crack because the foundation is shifting. And when your foundation shifts, the, the cracks start appearing. And so what ends up happening is people spend so much time and so much energy trying to spackle all the cracks only to neglect the actual real issue, which is a shifting foundation. And I think the same is true in relationships. I think it's the same is definitely true in marriages. How many know there are cracks in relationships? Okay. Um, I'm not talking about crack heads. I'm just talking about there's cracks, even though that may be there as well. So... There is, there's communication cracks, there is intimacy cracks, there's financial cracks, there's, the reason I bring all that up is today, because I only have one message for marriage, I don't want to just address all of the cracks, even though they're very evident. I want us to deal with the shifting foundation, because I believe if we can address the shifting foundation, it'll actually fix the cracks. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going, we're going to laser focus in on what is our relationship actually built on? Because if you can get it built on the right thing in the right way, all of the communication, the conflict, the financial, all these other issues that we all deal with in marriage will actually start mending themselves. So that's where we're going to go today. So Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to, to focus. So if you want to uh, turn there, Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to go. I don't know if you've noticed, but how many know marriages are under attack right now more than ever? Um, families are under attack now more than ever. 2020 has been a stressful year. How many would agree 2020 has been a stressful year in so many areas? Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but domestic abuse went through the roof when quarantine happened. Uh, I guess people just didn't want to be with each other. And, and then uh, suicides tripled during the quarantine time. I mean, just stress, financial stress went through the roof 
during uh, a lot of this year. Some of you are experiencing even that right now, emotional stress. I mean, all of this stuff. This, this has been a year that's been extremely stressful for a lot of people. And marriages have taken a real, a real toll. And I wanna, I wanna talk to you today about why I think the enemy is using this year to really destroy things, but at the same time, how God absolutely loves marriages. So we're gonna look at the two kind of things and, and I want you to, to join in with me. So we're gonna go to Matthew 19. Now let me set up the story. Matthew 19, there's some Pharisees that come to Jesus and they, they wanna test him. And they ask him a question and the question is, is in regards to marriage and divorce. And so let's, let's look. So Jesus has an answer. And by the way, every time Jesus has an answer, you might wanna listen in, because it's red letters. So this is the question, ready? It says, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, now let me just pause here for a quick moment and just say this. I understand speaking to a crowd of this size and those that may be watching online, that there are many people that have navigated a divorce, whether you've been divorced already and remarried or you're divorced right now and single, um, whether the divorce was your choice or was not your choice. I, I understand that there's many people in here that have been through divorce. How many of you, your parents went through a divorce? Just any, raise your hands, a number of you, my, my parents included. So uh, divorce is very difficult. It's very hard. I wanted to say this. Today's message is not to condemn anybody that had a divorce. I just want you to hear me straight out the gate. Um, when it comes to divorce, if you've been divorced, how I many know we don't look back, we look forward? So we're not looking back at broken things and, and hurtful things and what has happened in the past. If that's happened in the past, the past of the past, I like to leave it in the past. And let's move forward. How many know God wants you to have a God-honoring marriage, though? And, and so today, uh, we're going to talk about those two things. Specifically, though, he asked, can anybody just get divorced? This is the question to Jesus. And his answer is this. He answered and said to them, everybody help me with these black letters, have have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Here we go. And verse 5 says this. Go to the next verse. And, and he said... Okay, all right. If you actually have a real, a real Bible, underline that or whatever. We're going we're gonna to get to that. That's a big part of this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become... So then they are no longer, watch this, two, but... But one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man, let no man separate. Okay, so this is huge. Go back to uh, the part where it says, for this reason. All right? So if you go and you look at this verse, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, two shall become one flesh. Okay? So the question is, can you just divorce anybody for just any reason? And so Jesus says, for this reason. So here's the question. Ready? What reason? What is the reason that he is speaking of? Well, we know the verse that he uses for this reason, this is in reference to the very first marriage that was ever instituted in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is the story of who? Adam and Eve. Okay. And so what he's doing is he's reverting back to the original intention. For this reason, a man shall leave. So let's go. Here we're going to go. We're all going to go back. All right. Genesis chapter 1, if you got your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go look at the very beginning now of the original intention of marriage. 
which let me just put it put it this way marriage is the first institution that God ever created outside of everything else that he made marriage was the first institution he created and so this is what it says watch Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 then God said let okay I'm gonna help you all out when I point that's you okay someone just help out by point that's you all right so here we go let man y'all are good okay all right make man in after our likeness so God created in his own in the he created him and he created them okay good job give yourselves a hand y'all are good all right I even color code them for y'all so y'all can help y'all out okay I'm trying to make it as simple as possible all right so this this is a huge thing here all right so in order to explain this a little bit I need to, to show you something because this is what God is saying I'm gonna give you three thoughts if you want to write one down write this first one down marriage reflects God marriage reflects God okay all right so uh, I'm gonna need some help with this real quick all right Stephen and Alyssa I'm gonna need y'all to come up here real quick all right and then I need three I need three men just three men any three men Bobby I'm making you come okay you come John you come all right here we go I got I got three guys y'all give it up for everybody come y'all come over here good job okay all right okay y'all face face the people you stand over there Alyssa you stand here Stephen okay there we go all right three wise men please come here okay all right okay so here we go we got the three men all right so here's let me explain what I'm talking about marriage reflects God okay so here's what scripture says scripture says Genesis 1 let us okay ready is us singular or plural okay good good job okay all right so y'all didn't know y'all were gonna go to school today all right it's plural okay so Genesis chapter 1 he says let us this is God speaking the plural well, we know God is a triune God, three in one. This is the Trinity, okay? So you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? All right, so we got the Father, we got Jesus, and we got the Holy Spirit, okay? And so they get together, okay, and they say, let us make man, okay? Let us make man in what? In our in our image okay all right so if you know the story Genesis chapter 1 God takes the dirt all right spits in it does whatever he does breathes in it and then he makes voila, makes makes man okay all right now we know if you read continue to read Genesis go into Genesis chapter 1 then you go to Genesis chapter 2 after God makes man he gives man a job his job is to tend the garden to keep it his job is to name all the animals so you can thank him for hippopotamus and all those other names, all right? But then God says this, it is not good. This isn't good. For, I know you think you're all good, but this is not good. Watch this. It is not good for man to be alone, right? So he says, pass you out, knocks him out, pulls out a rib, and then he comes over and he makes woe man. And then he presents woe man to man and says, this is flesh of my flesh and blood of my blood. Yeah, baby. All right. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. All right. Now, here's the question. Ready? Let us, okay, 
make man. Now, we know man was not just man. It was also mankind, so it was male and female. Okay, let us make them in our image. Here's the question. Does this look like this? No, it doesn't, does it? Does this look like this? No, no, no. So we know that in order for this to look like this, the Bible says that Jesus, after he ascends into heaven, sends his Holy Spirit to come and to awaken us to the reality of who Christ is. And so, so Jesus, the Father sends the Son, okay? The Son dies for our sins, goes to heaven, and sends the Holy Spirit. They're all one, they're working in one. Sends the Holy Spirit, though, over here to come up all up in the middle of this. Yeah, there we go, all right. When you do a God analogy, you don't have to worry about social distancing. Okay, so, <laughs> so now, okay, so now imagine the Holy Spirit's still a part of the Godhead. Now does this look like this? Yes, yes it does. Okay, I'll step in as the Holy Spirit. And so, so now this looks like this. Realize, when God created marriage, when God created the institution of marriage, let us make mankind in our own image, what he was doing was he was trying to show the visible world a reflection of an invisible God. So when God looks at your marriage, the question though is, ready? The question is, is God a part of it or is he not? Because if he's not, then you don't look like God. But when he is, come on, let me know, then you look like God. Are y'all with me? Come on, y'all give it up for all of our incredible, incredible analogies. Thank you. All right. So now watch this, though. Now why is Satan, why does Satan hate this? Watch this. Because this reminds him of this. Are y'all with me? So every time God sees a marriage that is God-centered, God-founded, God-built, and God's in it, it is a reflection not only to the world, but to the enemy that, that this is God's people, and he hates God. Are y'all with me? So everything the enemy is going to do is to try to make the people that were made in his image to be divided because when they're divided, God can't be in it. And when God can't be in it, how many know now he's one? Is everybody tracking with me? Okay, so marriage reflects God. It's designed to reflect God. These are, remember, these are foundational things. This is a foundation for all of us. So my marriage, when God is a part of it, reflects an invisible God that people don't see. So when people see two broken people loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, walking through hardship together. Come on, how many know that reflects an invisible God to a broken humanity? So Satan's whole thing is to try to get this destroyed. Watch this, okay? This is another cool part. Satan was in the garden from Genesis chapter one. But Satan does not show up until Genesis chapter three. Ready? When Adam was by himself, Satan never talked to him. Do you notice that? It wasn't until Eve was brought on the scene and they were brought together that Satan goes, ah! I've got to deal with this. And you don't get Satan until Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You go read Genesis chapter 2 all the way up to the very end, and it says how they, God joined them and united them together. And how many know what God unites, the enemy wants to divide? 
Satan, he could have been talking to Adam the whole time. He didn't. And guess who he talked to at first? To Eve. And so we know that the enemy's plan, he hates marriages. And this is what he's been doing from the garden all the way to today is he's been trying to divide husbands and wife with one another. And we know what sin brought into this world was a huge deal. And it, and it meant to break. And God's been trying to heal and God's trying to bring together. And so Genesis chapter 3 is not the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of marriage. It's, it's a marriage that gets broken because Satan knows, watch this, Satan knows when a husband and wife are committed to putting God at the center and God at the foundation, hell can't stand a chance. Can't stand a chance. And so the only way a marriage works is when God is in the middle of it. It's the only way. God is not in the middle of it. It's no longer thy kingdom, it's my kingdom. And how many know when you got two people that say my kingdom, no, my kingdom, no, my kingdom, how many know that's only going to fall? All right, so number two. Everybody with me so far? We good? Number two, marriage represents Christ and the church. Marriage represents Christ and the church. All right, so this is, this is huge here. Now, before I say that, let me, let me just say this one last thing. <clears throat> the number one reason, Lindsay and I have been married for 17 years. And the number one reason that Lindsay and I have stayed married for 17 years is because our marriage is for God. Our marriage is not about us. I tell people all the time when I do premarital counseling, now when we go and do the wedding, your wedding is a funeral. It's the greatest, yeah, y'all don't want to come do any marriage counseling with me. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, because when you get married, my dies and we now lives. So it's no longer my stuff, it's our stuff. What's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. That's how it works. <laughs> we'll get that into the other, that's another part of this story, okay? So, <clears throat> so watch this. Happiness is not the main motivation we've stayed married. Because if happiness is the foundation that you have built, if you, if you are after this happily ever after Disney lifetime chick flick romance, watch this, watch this. If happiness is your foundation, when you are no longer happy, you no longer want to be married. And you find someone else that will make you happy because that's the foundation of, but when the foundation is, it's not about my happiness, it's about us honoring God, it's about us glorifying God, it's about us putting God at the middle of it. When I'm not happy, we still stick it out. Are y'all with me? It reminds me of a story of a man that was in a cemetery and he's banging on a grave and he's banging, he's banging, he's banging, he's going, why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? And another man comes into the cemetery and he sees this guy going ballistic, screaming as he's hitting this gravestone, why did you have to die? And he looked at the man, he says, is that your wife? He says, no, it's my wife's first husband. I'll get that. Takes it. It's like a wave. It's like slowly making its way to the back. Oh, I don't know if that was right, but anyways, that's what it was. But here's what I know. Watch. Okay. So when it's no longer about God, when it's no longer about God, I can justify things. So that's why people get, that's why people live together versus getting married. Because, oh. So, be, it's because 
it's my kingdom and what I wanted versus what God wants. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come. God, I want, I'll, we want God's blessings, we just don't want to do it God's way. But God says, if you want my blessings, you better have me in the middle of it. You can't, you can't, I'm not Santa Claus. Okay, so, so, so number one is marriage reflects God, but it requires God to be in it. Number two is marriage is, uh, re represents Christ in the church. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Everybody still with me? We okay? All right. We're only getting deeper. All right. Ephesians 5, 31. All right, now let's look at Ephesians. Paul says it this way. Ready? Yeah, y'all seen that before? For this reason, here we go again. So Jesus is referring to Genesis. Now Paul's referring to Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become Okay, verse 32 says this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning and, okay, Christ in the church. Verse 33 goes on, he says this. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular sow his own wife. Okay, so who is he talking to in that one? Who loves the wife? Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay, we're all on the same page. All right, all right. So he's speaking to the husbands in this this part nevertheless let each one of you in particular so love his own wife so he's telling the husbands love your wives as as themselves how many know men love themselves come on women look in the mirror and they look at all the things they don't like man looks in the mirror he's like man that looks good that looks good he could be fat and flabby but he's like man that's amazing no hair no nothing come on I mean no men love themselves okay they will lie to themselves to tell themselves about how good they are about themselves. All right. So this is, this is man. Love his wife as himself. All right. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. All right. So, so this is what he's saying. Ready? So he's saying, men, as the husbands, you represent Christ. Wives, as, as the wife, you represent the church, okay? So husbands represent Christ, and women, the wives, rep represent the church. So we've got we've to now look, because yet again, remember, this started with for this reason. So we go back to Genesis. He's using that. And so uh, this is what I want to do. For this point, I'm going to talk to the husbands, and then I'm going to talk to the wives, okay? So wives, don't elbow too much because your, your moment's coming. So husbands, let's talk to you first. Okay, so the Bible says that, that as husbands are like Christ, okay? So two thoughts, husbands, if you're taking notes. Number one, husbands are to lead like Christ led. Because the Bible says you are like Christ, so we have to look to Christ as our example. So what did Christ do? Well, Christ led. Christ was a leader. He was the greatest leader that ever led. Watch this, Ephesians chapter 5. Keep going into the next verse. It says this. <clears throat> Can you put that verse up for me? It says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, all right. Husbands is it now now this is a very some people make this be a very controversial verse like oh no one no one's gonna be my head I'm gonna I got my own thing and I'm you know you have a lot of that that goes on but this is scripture this is what God says that the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of this church so let me ask you this 
our Savior's church, the head of this church, the person who runs this church, the person who leads this church is, is Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the head of the church. So as a pastor that has been given the stewardship of this church, it is my responsibility to hear from God and say, God, what do you want to do in this season? God, what do you want to say in this season? God, what do you, and, and be his spokesperson. But he's the head. Everybody with me? He leads. He guides. He directs this church. When I take over is when things go bad. I mean, when I don't listen to the head, things go bad. Okay, so he is the head. And now he's giving us the illustration saying, this is exactly the same thing that I want to see in family, that the husband is the head. Now watch this. The Bible says that the husband is the head. So it's not even giving you a negotiation like, could the wife be the head? No, the husband is the head. So here's the question. Ready, men? So what kind of head are you? I guess the verdict's still out. I don't know. A good head, a bad head, a mean head, a hot head. Oh, we're not, are we going there? I don't know. We may. We'll see. But, but, but every man in here that is a husband is a head. And so the question is what, what kind of head we are. And, and so, so we are to lead like Christ led. Well, how did Christ lead? Now, let me help everybody in here when it comes to manhood and leading, all right? So the essence of masculinity, okay? If you ask culture, what does it mean to be a man? Culture will tell you all different things. You got to be able to lift a lot of weights. Got to be really strong. Got to be able to shoot a gun. Got to be able to drink a lot of beer. You got to have a really good job that's got a lot of money. Got to drive a truck, okay? Whatever all that is. And you, you, we've heard it all. What is it to be a man? I'm going to give you the essence of masculinity. Ready? The essence of masculinity is they take responsibility. Amen. You want to know when someone's moving from a boy to a man? They take responsibility. You want to know when a man's being a boy? He shucks his responsibility. Every woman in here said? Amen. Okay, all right. So, so listen, any guy can make a baby... It takes a man to father a baby. Okay, y'all with me? So, right? That's, what is that? That's taking responsibility, right? That's what it is. Any man can walk a, a woman down the aisle and say, I do, but it takes a man to step up and be a husband. Okay, so, so the essence of manhood and masculinity, you know how I know when my boys are maturing? They're doing more things they're taking on responsibility. So when they go, Dad, I want more privileges, I say, you get more privileges when you take more responsibility. Clean your room. Like, I shouldn't have to tell you to take a bath. I shouldn't have to tell you. Like, I know you're growing up. Like, do your homework. <laughs> like, are, are y'all with me? Parents are looking at their kids right now. Okay, so <clears throat> if, if you, if you want to become a man, start taking more responsibility. It's the essence of... of of, of manhood. Now, the reason why they keep reverting back to Genesis is because Adam and Eve are in the garden. Adam is the head of, his, of Eve. We know that the, that the snake comes in. The enemy speaks lies to both of them. We know that Eve eats first, but we know that Adam does as well. 
So did they both sin? Yes, okay, all right. Yes, they both sinned, watch this. But when God comes into the garden to try to find them because they hid themselves and they made themselves some fig leaf clothing, watch, who does he call? He calls Adam. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? What, 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 what the deal? They both sinned. Why didn't he say, Adam and Eve, where are you? Because God put Adam as the head, and so even though it was both of their fault, Adam was responsible. Well, that's not fair. Nope. <laughs> but it's the way that God works. God has put man. So, so every woman in here is like, I don't want no man to be the head. He probably doesn't either. <laughs> Because you know what responsibility that is? Like there's some serious responsibility that comes along with that. He will stand before God on how he was, how he husbanded you. He will stand before God on how he led your family. And however much you may don't like his leadership, he's going to stand before God one day because God is going to hold him responsible for your family. God's gonna come to him and say, weren't you the head? Why did you let her be the head? You're the head. And you need to take your role. And there are some men who have abdicated that to let their wives lead when the wife really doesn't want to, but because he won't lead, she steps in. And, and I'm calling every man in here to take your role to lead your family and lead it well. Now watch this. Watch. Did we all sin? Yes. I'm not talking about like right now. I'm just talking about like, you know. Some of you are like wondering, I don't, did I sin? I don't know. Maybe that joke was offensive. Okay, so I'm sorry. I, maybe I did in that moment. But, okay, when I watch this, we have all sinned, okay? I want to show you how this works. We've all sinned. Has Jesus sinned? No. Jesus was spotless, sinless. It's the reason why he could be our substitute. It's the reason why he could go to the cross. Now watch this. But who took the responsibility for your and my sin? Why? Watch this. Because he's the head. Y'all got it? He's the head. So Jesus, who did not commit any sins, takes on my sins, pays for my sins, goes to the cross for my sins, not because it wasn't my fault, but because he's the head. And when he's the head, he takes responsibility for his children. And these are his children. And the Bible says we are his bride and he is the groom. And so here he is. He says, because I'm the groom and I'm the head, I'm going to take responsibility for them all. How many of you glad that we have a Savior who took the head, who took the responsibility? Who said, yeah, maybe, maybe we deserved it, but he took it on because he is the head. He's a good, loving husband. And the same is true for us men in here. You go, well, my wife is crazy. Well, then you're the head of crazy. <laughs> Welcome to the crazy season. But you are the head. Are your wife's sins your fault? No. But they are your responsibility. Are your kids' sins your fault? No. But they are your responsibility. And so we're, I'm going to stand. I realize I'm going to stand in front of God on how I led my family. So men, we are called to lead like Christ led. Number two, we are to love like Christ loved. How many know no one loved better than Jesus? 
Jesus is the perfect lover. Jesus loved perfectly. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you look in verse 25, I love this. The message translation says this. Watch, husbands, tune in, because this is, this is what, this is to us. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wife. Go all out. Exactly as, you notice he's going back again. Remember, we're, we're representative of Christ in the church. Watch this. So, so here's the question. How did Christ love the church? A love marked by giving, not getting. Watch this. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he and is designed to bring out the best of her. Watch this. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. Amen. Paul did not, watch this, Paul did not command husbands to feel something. He commanded them to do something. You want to love your wife? Love as Christ loved. Well, how did Christ love? Christ didn't just feel love towards us. Christ walked out love towards us. Christ forgave, and Christ healed, and Christ fed, and Christ empathized, and Christ walked with, and Christ... This is the, the love that Christ gave to his church and to his people. This is what it, the love he continually gives to us. So I want to get practical. Okay, so what does this mean as husbands? How do I love her well? Yeah, I, I love my wife. Okay. Let's see. Number one, love her physically. Love her physically. Me meaning that you are protective of her. Like when, when stuff goes down in our down, our, our, our master bedroom's upstairs, um, and, and so when stuff, when there's a big crash downstairs, my wife doesn't get up with the gun. She goes, what are you going to do about it? Go wake up. <laughs> Go deal with it. Why? Because that's a way that I love her, protect her physically. Now listen, I might not be the buffest guy there is. Why are you laughing? Okay. But, but it does not matter. That is my job is to make her, to make my kids feel safe. Now watch this, okay? Men. Your job is to make sure that your wife and your kids feel secure and safe. Secure and safe. Not only just physically, but in all other areas. Maybe, just maybe, the reason she doesn't want to come home is because she feels more safe somewhere else than she does at home. And so God is challenging us to love our wives physically. Second thing, to love her emotionally. Meaning that as, as husbands, that, that we engage in conversation. When we come home from work, we, we ask, how was your day? And, and we listen. And we, we, we're not just so concerned with touching her body that we don't touch her heart. And that we connect with her, with her mind, and love her well emotionally. And how are you feeling right now? And we know that, that women tend to be more emotional than men, and men can tend to be rough. I've already told you, my empathy level is at the bottom. But, but, but that doesn't give me reason to be rude. That doesn't give me reason to not listen. That doesn't give me reason to not try to connect with my wife emotionally, even though I've heard this story 67 times. We're going to hear it 68. Because she needs to process. 
Are y'all with me? Is everybody with me? Okay. Guys, shake your heads, okay, just so I know you're with me, okay? All right. We need to love her verbally, meaning the things that we're speaking to her, about her, in front of her. Notice that this scripture in Ephesians 5 says that his words evoked her beauty. His words were, were like a dazzling dress that she wore. She, she becomes what he speaks of her. Notice how, how God created the world by what he spoke. And everybody listen to me. If you don't like the world you're living in, change the words you're saying. Because you might be speaking something into existence and you're living in the world that you spoke. Are y'all with me? Well, she's just a nag. Well, she will continue to be one as long as you continue to remind her. You need to change your tone and change what you say, and you need to watch how you speak. Don't you ever call your wife an old lady. She will become one. You need to love her parentally. Parentally. Men, you are the head of your home. That means your children need their dad just as much as their mother. That, meaning, that means you might not be the pastor of this church, but you are the pastor of your home. You are, the, you, you are the head of your home. So that means when you come home, your wife's not the only one who does discipline. You also are a part of that process. Because she's been saying, no, 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 all day long. And you come home and you won't be the fun parent. But when you come home, you also need to be the parent who is fun but also gives her a break so so you step in and, and and you lead your kids well with her she's not the one that does the dishes and does the baths and does the clothes and does all this and that's her job and I just work and I just come home and that's all I do and I put food on the table and I provide this house for y'all and look I should be listening your kids need you more than they need your money Amen. okay so love her listen I knew I wasn't gonna lie immense with this that's all right you can be mad at me all you want. I have no problem with that. Because ultimately, I'm just the messenger. Love her. Not only love her verbally, not only love her parentally, you also have to love her spiritually. And I'm going to tell you, if there's anything that I'm extremely passionate about, is seeing men of God step up and be men of God and stop having their wives drag them to church, but instead drag the family to church. Like the men are the ones that get up on Sunday morning going, we going. Yeah. Or the men are the ones who say, we're going to pray. The men are the ones that are going to pursue counseling when the marriage is going through hardships. The men are going to be the one that take the role spiritually and not abdicate that to the woman because she's more spiritual than her. You are the head. God has called you to lead. And I'm telling you, if you want a wife to absolutely adore you, be a man of God's word, be a man of God's presence, be a man of prayer, be a man that pursues Jesus over her. I promise you, she will want you so bad. Because you will be a man who is extremely sexy because your desire is for God. And when a man has been filled with the presence and the power of God, come on, tell me, I'm, there's no woman that will resist a man that's like that. But a man who is full of himself is a man no one wants to be around. All right, guys, you're off the hot seat. Let's put the ladies on. So if they were elbowing you this whole time, now's your chance. 
Because notice that scripture did not command the women to love their husbands. The command that, that, that God had to give the women was to respect their husbands. Now, by the way, if you have not gotten this book, if you're married, there is a book out there called Love and Respect by Emerson Egridge. I would highly encourage you to go and read this, and it takes this to a whole nother extreme. But this is the two things that they begin to talk through. Every man needs to love and every woman needs to respect. And when a man doesn't love his wife, she doesn't give him respect. And when a, a, a woman doesn't respect her husband, he doesn't give her love. It's a crazy cycle. Let me give you a working definition of respect. Respect is to notice, to regard, to honor, to prefer, to defer to, to encourage, to love, to admire. This is what Christ is challenging women to do. Remember, this is as the church, representative of the church. So let me give you three types of respect. Number one, ladies, head of respect. <clears throat> the head of respect. So here's the question. How do you think about your husband? What do you think about when you think about your husband? Do you think about, he's an idiot. <laughs> he is so dumb. He is... I am way more godlier than he is. I am so much smarter than he is. I could have done so much better. I could, I, whatever you, you're thinking through, you, need to, you, need to, you really need to think through this. You need to think about what you're thinking about. Because it's, it's very important. Because here's, here's, here's I'm going to do a whole message series on this at some point, but I'll give you the very quick digest version of it. What you think about is how you feel, and how you feel is what you do. If you don't change the way you think, you won't change the way you feel, and you won't change the what you do. So you have to change the way you think in order to change the way that you feel and to change the way that you do. And people try to change the way they feel, but they don't change the way that they think, so therefore they don't change the way they do. All right? So, so it's got to, it's, I'm trying, I'm trying. So it's got to start back with what you're thinking about. Because remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If you're believing a lie, you're living a lie. So just start thinking like, this is the man of my dreams that I married. There was something about him that made me marry him. I've just got to go back to remember what that was. And i got to watch what I'm thinking about. The Bible says, think about things that are pure and lovely and of good report. And this is what Philippians 4 encourages. So, so a head of respect. Number two, a heart of respect. So here we go. We go from thinking to feeling. How do you feel about your husband? Well, you know how you feel about your husband because it's what you say about your husband. Because the way that you say, you talk about him reverts to how you feel about him. Okay, so... I want to encourage you to be very careful about what you're saying about your husband or what you're saying to your husband, especially what you're saying about your husband in the presence of your children or in the presence of other people. Because if you degrade your husband in front of your children, guess what your children will do? And the same is vice versa with men, husbands saying that about their wife to their children. Like, we're, we're honoring of one another. We're respecting of one another. But this is specifically speaking to the women. Like, you should be praying more for your husband than talking about your husband. You want him to lead like a man of God? Then call the man of God out of him. Call that out of him. I, I, if you've been around us long enough, Pastor Bubba and I, we always, every guy we talk to, we, what's up, man of God? What's up, hero? What's up, faith? Okay, why are we doing that? 
We're doing that because that's what God calls you. Scripture calls you that, so we're, we're calling you to that. Now, I know sometimes when I call a man, he's not acting like that, so I call him and go, what's up, man of God? And he's not one at the present moment, at least acting as he is one. He is one, but I'm going to begin to speak and call that out of him. And I'm going to tell you the same for a wife. You look at your man and go, come on, sexy man of God, let's go. Man, no one does dishes like you. No one, no one. Now, I know you don't put it in the dishwasher like I would want you to, but at least they're there. I will rearrange it when you leave, but at least they're there. You are amazing. I just want you to know, thank you for what you do, and thank you for the hard work that you have behind, and thank you for, come on, y'all with me? I'm going to tell you, you see a man just start puffing up his chest, like a guy, like a personal cheerleader, like. Number three, hands of respect. Okay, so you got the head of respect, you got a heart of respect, now you got the hands of respect, so what you think, what you feel, and now we're going, what do you do for your husband? So hands that serve, hands that help, hands that pray, hands that touch, hands that, having hands that, that are willing to do and help and just be a blessing, and, and listen, I know this, is, this has to be reciprocated, this is both sides, but, but someone's got to start. Maturity is not, well, I'll do it when you do it. No, maturity is I'll do it even when you're not doing it. Amen. And, and, and let me put it this way. Whether it's work or a job or sports, men will always gravitate to the place where they feel most respected. So if they get no respect at home, don't be surprised why they're always at work. Don't be surprised why they're always with their buds. Or don't be surprised why they're always somewhere else because they don't get at home what they long for, so they go looking for it other places. Same is true for women. Where women don't feel loved and cherished and valued, they go to find it somewhere else. Unfortunately, that's how the enemy works. Because we go looking and longing for something that we should be finding in our relationship with God and in our marriage. Everybody with me? Y'all all right? We still good? Okay. Everybody's toes hurting? All right. So let me give you number three, and we're, we're wrapped up. We're done. Number three is marriage requires covenant. Okay, so marriage reflects God. Marriage is a representative of Christ and the church and their relationship with one another. And then lastly, marriage requires covenant. In Malachi, uh, God tells his people, why he's not listening to their prayers, why he's not receiving their worship, why he, he doesn't want to have, he's, he's practically giving them the stiff arm. And this is what he says in Malachi. Can we put that verse up? Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. Yet you say, Sounds familiar again? So we've talked about for this reason, for this reason, for this reason, for this reason, for what reason? Well, guess what? For this reason, because the Lord has been witnesses between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, watch the next verse says this, yet she is your companion and your wife by, by covenant, by covenant. So marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And for most people that have been in church, you've probably heard that many, many times. So let me explain to it just real quickly with you contract is this in a contract we protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities so how many know for anything pretty much that you want to buy nowadays you sign a contract for 
Anybody bought a house? Dear God, you know how long that contract is? It's like signing your life away. You go buy a car, contract. Go, go sign up to work at a job, contract. Go buy a phone, contract. And watch this. A contract is built on mutual distrust. A contract is, there once was a time, not in this generation, but there once was a time in previous generation where your word was your word. And if you shook a hand, that was as good as, as anything. I mean, you know, nowadays, people don't do that anymore because they don't trust it anymore, and so we make people sign contracts. So if you go and you had a house and you were gonna have renters come into your house, you would make them sign a contract. And pretty much the contract would say this, if you don't hold your end of the deal and you don't pay, you don't stay. I mean, that would be the contract, right? If you break anything, you gotta fix it, you gotta buy it. I'm gonna take money from you on the front end because if you bolt, at least I got your money. That's what contracts are, right? The problem is, is that we have bought into this lie that because we signed a marriage certificate, like that for some reason is a contract. And to the world, it technically is. But when we stood up here, or wherever you got married, and we've done a lot of weddings here, you know, I'll stand right here, and I'll have the two people facing each other, and then they'll say something. And they'll say these words. For better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and in health, and then to add a cherry on the top, Till death do us part. Okay, so those words right there, watch this, are not contractual words. Those are covenantal words. For better or worse. Well, a contract would really say, for better or better. And if it gets worse, I'm out. Okay, in sickness, mm, maybe not. Maybe like a flu sickness, but if it's like real sickness, then, you know, richer or just a little less rich. But we wouldn't say those words here because watch this. If we were saying words like that, people would leave the wedding. So we make real covenantal words. And we say, till death do his part. We're saying like, listen, I, I might can't get out of this with a divorce, but I can at least kill you. Um, so it's <laughs> the only way out. So, so watch this. So a contract is we protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. But these covenant words, this covenant, watch this. Covenant is we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. So we give up our rights. And we pick up. So that's what I said earlier. Like, you know, when I tell people, hey, you're getting married, it's, it's now a funeral. You, you're now laying down your rights. You're now laying down my kingdom, my wants my needs and I'm picking up thy kingdom what God wants what you need I'm not trying to limit my responsibility I'm trying to take up my responsibilities this is what covenant does and so so I need you to understand this watch this who's been married longer than five years in here if you've been married longer than five years raise your hand. okay all right so everybody in here that's been married longer than five years has keeping your covenant always been convenient no <laughs> not at all not at all. Have there been days you wanted to kill the other person? Okay, don't say this. Okay, maybe you need to say it out loud. I don't know. Has there been days where you, you wanted to just go do something else? Have there been days when it, Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Keeping your covenant is not always convenient. But God has called us because we made this vows between one another. We made this vow before him. So God, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in this. God, I'm, I'm sticking through this. Deuteronomy 29 verse 9 says, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Covenant has always been designed to benefit you. And I'll end with this. Your marriage is not measured by your feelings. Those will come and go. Your marriage is measured by your commitment. Tim, Tim Keller says it this way. You don't fall into love. You commit to it. If you can fall in it, you can fall out of it. But if you commit to it, it is a choice that you make. And, and I, man, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and I have been praying for so many people that have been kind of on that verge and you've been wrestling through and you've been thinking some of those thoughts and maybe you've even said some of those things to one another. Remember, today we're dealing with foundation. We're not dealing with all the cracks. Is there communication issues? Yep. Is there selfishness issues? Yep. Is there maybe some financial issues? Yep. But those are all cracks. The foundation, though, is my marriage represents God. And, and my marriage represents the church and Christ and and my marriage is going to require covenant. So that means when those moments I'm ready to bolt, I'm going to go, no, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Now, now listen, hear me. I, I am not saying, though, if you're in an abusive relationship that you should stay. You should get out. The Bible gives us, gives us many scriptures that talks about if, if someone has been immoral and continually lives in an immoral lifestyle, that it's, it's okay for you to get out. But I'm going to tell you, I've seen people that have failed morally still reconcile and get healed in incredible ways. So God can work miracles there. But I, I, I don't want you to hear me say something that's not right. But I want you to know that God is committed. If, you, if you'll bring God into the equation, I'm telling you, God can heal some things. God can restore some things. He can mend some things. And a kingdom marriage is a representative of God. Now watch this. Last thing. The reason why we can do this is because this is what God did for us. See, because love doesn't give you what you need. I mean, love doesn't give you what you want. Love gives you what you need. And how many know when I was at my worst is when God loved me the most? And I'm so grateful that God did not turn his back on me when I was running from him, when I was doing my own thing. No, he loved me when I was at my, my worst part. And marriages will work when you give your spouse not what they deserve, but what they need. And when they're at their worst, how many know that's when they need your love the most? So that's my prayer today. I want to end today with praying for three sets of people. One, those in here that are single, and, and man, you're just believing for a spouse. And I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray that God, that God will bring the right person at the right time. Number two, for those in here that are on the verge of divorce. Uh, maybe this year has just revealed a lot of things and you're just on that, you just don't know what to do. You're stuck. You don't know what to do in this moment. I'm gonna pray, I wanna pray for you. And then I wanna pray for those in here that are married um, that God would just continue to anchor a deeper foundation in your life. So would you just bow your heads? Father, we love you. God, we, we dedicate this, this time, this day to you. God, I pray, Lord, for those that, that are single in here. I, and I know how the enemy works to bring frustration 
and, 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 and maybe just to bring lies. And so, God, I just pray right now that uh, in their patience, in their desire to want to honor you, and their desire to wait um, for the fulfillment of having someone come alongside them, I, I pray, Lord, that, that they would be the right person in the right time. But in this process, that they would continue to let you do in them what you need to do to make them ready for that. And I pray, God, for those right now as well that are on the verge. God, maybe they walked into this room or maybe they're watching online right now and there's so much pain. There's so many words that have been said that they regret. There's so many things that, that, they have, been, that have been done to them or has done, been done by them that they almost feel like it's too far gone. And I, I pray today by your spirit that you would remind them how much you love them, that you would remind them that it is never too late, that you would remind them of their first love. And God, that where humility needs to be, that there would be humility. I thank you that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that you come and, and you heal. And, and God, if there needs to be repentance, that there would be repentance. God, I pray, Lord, that what the enemy is meant to divide and to destroy, that, that we would identify that as the enemy and know that our spouse is not the enemy, but God, that, that there is a real enemy, that we would invite you into the middle of our marriages so that you could do what only you can do. And God, I pray, Lord, for those that are in this room that, that are married, that things seem to be going well. Pray that, they, that, that their faith would be even anchored deeper. I pray that their love for you would grow more and, and for one another. And that, that ultimately our marriages would be a reflection to a broken world of an invisible God. That the way we love one another would reflect to the world how you love us. God, we know we can't do this without your Holy Spirit. So we ask for that today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and help us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak, your voice would speak louder than any others. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus?